Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. Again, that's Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a Bible under the seat in front of you, and you can turn to page 770. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And he put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got onto the boat and went to the region of Magadan. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Glad to be here with you guys worshiping together. Would you join me as we continue to worship as we pray again? Blessed Lord, you who caused all scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such a way hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, and that by patience and comfort of your holy word that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you've given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to... Remember with me to go back to a recent transition that you made in your life. Maybe for some of us, we just um, graduated from college, um, although some of us might still be in college right now. Or those of us who are trying to go back to that life that you had, you knew that there was going to be an end to a certain season. It just mattered time. And here you are going through Some of us, we are going through that new beginning. Exciting, scary, but we also know that all season comes to an end and new season begins. It's hard to let go, 
But here we are, knowing that beginnings are what happens and endings are not necessarily a bad thing. When we come to today's passage, um, we come to a, an end to a season in Jesus' ministry. In verse 21, it reads, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. You see, Jesus had been ministering in the Galilean area region for the entirety of his ministry. And in verse 20 of chapter 15, it puts an end to his season of ministering to the Jewish people. And he now enters to a distinctly Gentile territory, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is the uh, area that the Canaanites um, lived. And when the Israelites came to this promised land long, long, long time ago, God instructed Joshua and the people of Israel to remove, destroy all the people, all the Canaanites of the land. They didn't. Now, if you're a Jew reading through this passage of Jesus entering this territory, you would naturally think about something that also happened a long time ago in the Old Testament. You see, during the time of Elijah, during a famine, God sent Elijah to this same region, sent him there, and Elijah uh, asked this widow in this area called Zarephath, which belongs to the area of Sidon, and um, asked for bread. Zarephath is about eight and a half miles south of Sidon, 14 miles north of Tyre, this region that Jesus and the disciples happened to enter now. The famine was bad, and God sends him there to feed him. But once getting there, he asks the woman, a widow, who really has very much nothing left, he asked for bread. She reluctantly but eventually concedes and provides the only thing that she has to provide in bread. But in so doing, God uses Elijah to bless her to provide bread for the whole season of famine and also resurrects her son from the dead. And now here's Jesus entering the same territory, same region, that Elijah the prophet long ago entered and did these things through God's power. And now we see him with the woman asking for bread, asking for healing of her daughter. What is Jesus after here? Here we have a Gentile supplicant who's begging. And last time we had a Gentile come up Begging Jesus of anything was in chapter 8 when we had um, a centurion, not a Jew, coming for his servant who was sick. There's a theme long time ago, a bunch of chapters ago, that's continuing here. Chapter 8, now chapter 15. Something is, God is trying to teach these Jewish readers of the Gospel of Matthew importance of something about Gentiles. In verse 22, it continues, And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. 
In other gospel, this woman is mentioned as a Syrophoenician woman. Here, the gospel writer Matthew wants us to know that this is a Canaanite woman. Remember, the woman that the, the people who were supposed to be destroyed, uh, people who worship false idols. She begs, have mercy on me. And she definitely and desperately knows that she needs help. She doesn't deserve it. She's unworthy. And she begs. And she calls him by this, O Lord, Son of David, now, if you just read this verse, it might not mean as much, but if you think about what's been happening, Pastor Eugene's been preaching through chapter 14, 15, the first half last week. What's been happening is that Jesus performed some amazing miracles of healing. Thousands of people who came fed over 5,000 men plus women and children. But you know what didn't happen? None of those Jewish people who came to Jesus to be healed and fed Acknowledge Jesus for who he was. They didn't respond. They didn't call him Lord, son of David. They received their filling. They received their healing. And then they went off to their way. No acknowledgement of who Jesus was. She worshiped Jesus, acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah. If you were to just call someone Lord, it could be just a master. But the fact that she followed up, son of David, recognizes that this Jesus, the Lord, is the Messiah that the people of Israel have been waiting for. She had faith in the right thing. She had faith in the right person. Sometimes when I talk to people who are not Christians, or even Christian people who think they're Christian, they talk about faith, having faith. It's like, I just believe. Um, I just pray. Not sure exactly who I pray to, but I just pray. But here, true biblical faith is about trusting and turning to the right person. That what you place your trust in is worthy of that trust. Just as if you were to walk over, you know, chunk of ice, you want to know how thick that ice is. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. If that ice is only an you know, eighth of an inch, you're going to fall, crack, and die. But if that ice is three feet thick, it's going to hold your weight. It does matter what we place our faith in. I think Pastor Eugene in the past talked about the elements of genuine biblical faith, and there is the first part, there's the contents, like, what is it that we are talking about? And there is the agreement, okay? I agree with what you're saying. And the third part is trust or commitment in that truth. Demons believe Jesus to be the Son of God. They agree. So they have the content and they would even agree who Jesus is. But they did not trust or commit themselves to Jesus. This woman came. She knew from what she heard, what she had seen, limited as it may be, she knew who Jesus was. She was able to agree to it, and she came to Jesus, trusting, committing 
what mattered the most to her, her daughter, who was oppressed, possessed by this demon, um, and she came to him. In verse 23, this is a hard response. The Bible says, but he did not answer her a word. No response. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. How do you respond when Jesus does not respond to your request? When you ask and he doesn't respond. It's hard, isn't it? But she doesn't give up. She keeps crying out. And the disciples are annoyed. And it's like, is Jesus being insensitive, being mean? What's wrong? What's going on? He's not being rude. She might not receive it. Actually, she, she receives it fine. We might not feel comfortable with this response. But he's not being rude. In fact, he's doing this for her benefit and especially for the benefit of his disciples who are, as Pastor Eugene talked about last week, dull or lacking understanding. It's for their benefit because this is revealing, if anything, their lack of compassion for Gentiles like this woman. She doesn't take a no for an answer, and she is persistent. She keeps at it. There is no one else that she can go to for this. She has probably tried with her pagan gods. And Jesus responds after the disciples reveal what's really in their hearts, like, Jesus, please get rid of her. This is what Jesus responds with. Another, even harder response from a silence here, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Disciples didn't want to engage her. Jesus engages her with a very, what seems like a caustic response. Basically saying in a, in a very hard way for us, North Americans who, this is definitely not a PC thing to say on the surface level. It's like, you know what? I wasn't sent for your kind. Does Jesus really mean this? Or is something else happening? Is, is Jesus revealing something else that might be happening perhaps with those who are following him? Because this seems really harsh. And from what we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew so far, well, we see different hints of different things happening for people who are not of the Jewish descent. In verse 25, it reads, But she came and knelt before him. ESV translates it, knelt. Um, It's actually the same word that you would use to bow down, prostrate, to worship. Okay? So she knelt, she prostrated herself before Jesus saying, Lord, help me. She's not giving up. There's no other place she can go to, okay? Lord, help me. And he answered. You think the last response was harsh. Now he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
And she says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She's unfazed. She's not like, oh, how could you say that? No. She's not phased by his response. She continues to go to him, asking him. She humbles herself. She acknowledges who she is, that she's not worthy. She concedes that she's not deserving like the Jews. She knows she's not. She has no pride, no self-reliance, no self-righteousness. Sounds very different from what Pastor Eugene preached on last week with the religious leaders. And even the masses of the Jewish people, the crowds who come, expecting Jesus to do things for them, right? In those days, people spoke, Jews would speak in the language of Gentile dogs, infidel dogs, and later on, Christian dogs. Um, Sounds like that word is a universal word that is used throughout the time. I'll leave it at that. Jesus' hard response Um, doesn't deter her. In fact, she shows us something um, that really invites us to look into ourselves. Now, in doing this, Jesus is setting up for what he's going to do eventually in verse 28. He is going to be impressed And he heals her daughter immediately. He's setting this up. This response is setting up. And especially, he is really, if anything, showing what is in the disciples' hearts. What he's saying is actually mirroring what the disciples are doing, what they don't get, what they're still trying, what they've been doing all this time for just. The, the Jews themselves, their own kind, Jesus is just exposing the narrowness, the smallness of their understanding of the gospel and the implication of the kingdom. She's not offended. She knows she deserves no grace. She knows she has no official claim on God. But you know what's amazing? This is what she's saying. I don't need the whole loaf, Jesus. Even little crumb that falls would suffice. That's all I need. If you just give me that, I know my daughter will be healed. Such a huge contrast between what we saw a couple of chapters ago with Peter. Oh, you of little faith, and here Jesus looking at her, being amazed by her faith, impressed with what she's doing, and saying the very same thing he said of the centurion, another Gentile, chapter 8, saying, your faith is great. Every one of us ought to stand like the way she's standing, 
actually prostrate on her knees. If anything, she shows us what true disciples, how we should posture ourselves before God, before Jesus Christ. And as Pastor Eugene was preaching last week about, we think we're good? What makes you think we're good? There is no one who is good. We are not good on our own. We are like that Canaanite woman. We don't deserve anything. If anything, we deserve hell, eternal damnation, separation. Yet what a contrast between the religious leaders who think they're good and living as so, expecting, demanding, puffed up, and this woman who, is, who has an accurate view of herself, the view that we should have if we're honest with who we are and what's inside of our hearts. In verse 28, Jesus responds. It's like, disciples, I wonder what they're thinking, how Jesus is going to respond now. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You know, very rarely does Jesus concede. When Jesus has, like, debates, dialogues with the Pharisees or anyone else, Jesus always wins with his wisdom. Here, he concedes to a Canaanite woman, recognizing her amazing faith, complimenting her, just as he did with a centurion. Jesus never compliments his disciples this way, but here he is, complimenting her for her saving faith. Great faith. It's like, oh. We, we heard from Pastor Eugene about little faith. Now, if you think about, you know, what makes faith great versus little, it's not like she had a stronger or even more sincere, more mature kind of faith compared to, let's say, other Jews who believed in Christ. You see, Peter had the heritage of growing up as a Jew, having the Old Testament scriptures, he had the, the system that's been revealed to him. He traveled with Jesus. He saw every miracle Jesus performed. He heard every word that Jesus taught. But in that moment of weakness, when he was walking, despite all that was revealed to him, his faith wavered and he began to sink. So much was revealed to him. And so much should have been expected of him, but when the test came, when the trial came, he failed. Versus this woman who grew up in a pagan culture, no heritage of God's word. She didn't travel with him. She didn't see miracles. She didn't hear him preach the way any of the disciples did, but despite the lack of that kind of exposure, that kind of revelation, here she was, coming to Jesus, recognizing him as Lord, the son of David, knowing that she can receive from him 
even if it's just a tiny little bit, and that would suffice to bring healing because she recognizes him for who he is. That's what makes her faith great. Not because her faith is so mature, but because she's been given so little, yet despite that, she's able to trust, commit to this Jesus. Many of us have grown up in the church. Families who love Jesus has taught. We've been given much. Do we have great faith or do we have little faith? Some of us did not grow up in a Christian family. Yet despite that, God has revealed himself, called, him, called you to himself, and you have committed and you are following. And to such, the language of great faith would be paralleling here. Matthew shows us from the beginning of the gospel, from the birth narrative, the genealogy, the Gentile inclusion of people in the genealogy, the first people to come visit Jesus at his birth, the centurion who is recognized for what he has done. Now this woman, a Canaanite woman, for her faith. And you fast forward to the end of the book in Matthew 28. The Great Commission is given to make disciples of all nations, all people group, not just the Jews, all people. Yes, the gospel of salvation, first to the Jews, but then to the Gentile. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus has been well-received by the crowds. People gathered around him. They listened. They received his healing, his teaching. They enjoyed the feeding. Contrast to the religious leaders like the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, others who are not very receptive, threatened, and just rejecting everything about him. But you see, as I'm sure Pastor Eugene will go forward with the rest of the chapter and the next chapter, the crowds, the, the Jewish crowds, primarily Jewish, from the Galilean territory he's been ministering, while they recognize Jesus, while people recognize Jesus as maybe a prophet, maybe Jeremiah, maybe John the Baptist, come back to life, kind of highly respected, they did not see him as the Messiah. They liked him, they respected him, they liked the teaching he gave, they loved what he did to heal and what he did to feed, but they did not embrace Jesus' own claim that he is the one who came to save mankind from sin, that he is the one, the Messiah. In verse 29, Jesus leaves this Canaanite woman, and it says Jesus went on from there, where he was with the Canaanite woman, 
and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. It's very reminiscent of what happened in the previous chapter as Jesus ministered to the Jewish crowd in the Sea of Galilee. If you look at Mark's version of the gospel in the same account, it says that the Sea of Galilee, the region that Jesus is doing this is by the region of the Decapolis, the ten cities. This is also a primarily Gentile territory. And here Jesus is with primarily Gentile crowd in a similar situation. People bring their sick, and Jesus has compassion. Jesus has compassion toward the masses, the crowd who are Jews. Jesus has compassion toward the crowd who are Gentiles. He's moved from his gut. He heals them. Verse 31 continues, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking. It's not like these, like a subtle, like the healing really happened. No, um, the mute began to speak, the cripple became healthy, the lame started walking, the blind became, were able to see. There was no confusion about whether a miracle actually happened or not. Jesus' authority as the Messiah was fully revealed. And you know what they did? They glorified the God of Israel. It is a contrast again, because when Jesus healed the Jewish crowd, there was no mention of glorifying God, praising God. It would be the Gentiles who would call God, God of Israel. It's not their God, at least initially. And they began glorifying this God because they didn't know a whole lot, like the Canaanite woman. They didn't know who fully Jesus was, but they knew that he was a Jew and that he served the God of, the, God of Israel, and they glorified this God of Israel. We have these circles in our lives, the closest circle, our immediate family, to our friends, our church friends, and we don't like stepping out, allowing people to enter into our circle. And the disciples did not like the idea. They couldn't get that the circle is really broken. There is no, only certain people can come into this kingdom. It's actually open for all. That's what Jesus is trying to get at doesn't matter about your ethnic heritage, your life stage, or socioeconomic background. If anything, we are like this, these disciples who are dull, obtuse, lack of understanding, not understanding for whom this salvation is for and what the kingdom of God truly looks like. J.C. Ryle said this, about our tendency. 
Let us not forget that our souls are far more diseased than our bodies. I mean, let's be honest, like we are more interested, though, in our bodies, right? He continues, let us learn a lesson from the conduct of these people. Our souls are afflicted with a malady far more deep-seated, far more complicated, far harder to cure than any ailment our flesh is heir to. They are, in fact, plagued by sin. They must be healed and healed effectively, effectually, and they will, or they will perish everlastingly. Do we really know this? Do we feel this? Or are we alive to our spiritual disease? Alas, there is but one answer to these questions. The bulk of mankind do not feel it at all. Their eyes are blinded. They're utterly insensible to this danger. For their bodily health, they crowd into waiting room for doctors. For bodily health, they take long journey to find pure air. But for their soul's health, they take no thought at all. Are you committed to your bodily health? Your financial health? How about your spiritual health? Your restoration with your creator who made you in his image to have intimate relation with you. Do we care about that? Then Jesus called his disciples in verse 32, and he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way. You know, when Jesus was with the Jewish crowd, when he fed the 5,000, the Jewish crowd didn't have food for a day. It was the disciples who came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, they're hungry. You know, what can we do? We need to feed them. But it's like, well, what do you have? We don't really have anything. Jesus, again, is trying to teach them that you can't feed them. You don't have what it takes. I can. And he uses them to feed the 5,000 men plus women and children, maybe 20,000. But it was the disciples who were moved, who saw their own kind and brought this concern, a real need to Jesus. But here we, we have this primarily probably a Gentile crowd who's been without for, for three days, <laughs> a lot longer. And if you notice, it's not the disciples who come to Jesus. Maybe... They don't think they deserve it or just doesn't move their hearts the way when they see their own people suffering. But disciples don't come to him. No, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who comes to them because they're not coming to him with it. They don't even notice. They don't care. And it's, again, revealing their hearts. Just as they were unfazed and just wanted to get rid of this, this Canaanite woman. And Jesus is engaging in that conversation to really reveal their hearts. 
Here, after having gone through three days of not eating, Jesus is moved with compassion because he sees them hungry. They're going to faint. I have compassion on these people. Clearly, you guys don't. I want to feed them. And I can. It again reveals their hard hearts. Their inability, unwillingness to see beyond what they think is their circle. Disciples said to him, verse 33, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed such so great a crowd? They struggle with unbelief again, despite what they saw Jesus do. And Jesus again asks, so how many loaves do you have? And they say seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd in verse 35, he sits them on the ground. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, he set them on grass. Now he sits them on ground. It's probably several months later because typically the grass lasts during the spring and middle summer. And you know the fact that Jesus is talking about ground versus grass, months have passed. And he's ministering to the Gentiles here. And he took the seven loaves in verse 36, and having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. And they all ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. When Jesus is feeding the crowd before, the Jewish, primarily Jewish crowd, we had 12 baskets. It's like 12 Seven, these are significant numbers. But you see, there's also an interesting thing. The basket, the word for basket that's used when Jesus is feeding the, the, the 5,000 men into the crowd earlier were, is a word for a small basket, almost like a lunch basket. At most, you can carry one or two meals. The word used to use basket here when Jesus is collecting, disciples are collecting the leftover food it's a different word. It's a Gentile basket, the same word basket to use when Apostle Paul is escaping through the wall. These baskets are big enough to put a person in. These are gigantic baskets compared to a small lunch baskets. So though you have 12 versus 7, people have eaten their full fill and we have so much more left over. God more than amply provided, and you have massive seven baskets filled as God has provided through Jesus Christ. It's a complete provision. Jesus is not against the Gentiles. He loves them. He wants his disciples to get that. Question is, how are we like the Gentiles? Dull, obtuse, lacking understanding. How are we like the Gentiles, keeping our circles small, ministering, serving to people who might just look like us, 
ministering and serving people who are only in our life stage, only in our socioeconomic level that we feel comfortable. Jesus is obliterating that kind of category here. And he's challenging you, he's challenging me. Yes, the gospel of salvation. Primacy is for the Jews, but it is for the Gentiles. As we know, when Jesus, the last commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people-speaking group. Brothers and sisters, as we look at ourselves, who are the Gentiles in our region? And I want to ask us to examine our faith. Is our faith great or is it little? Depends how much has been given to you, right? Do we have that humble, dogged faith that will continue to go to Jesus, knowing that he is truly the only answer to what truly matters, or will we give up offended, Will we give up when there's silence or will we persist? Because you can't take whatever we think we have to anyone else or anything else. This Canaanite woman, these Gentile crowd, they show us how to respond. But at the end, it's about responding with worship seeing Jesus for who he says he is. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you. Let's humble ourselves. Because at the end of the day, we are this woman. We don't have any rights. What we deserve is eternal hell. But it is through God's grace that he offers the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, that when we place our trust in him, when we acknowledge the truth, when we agree with that truth, and when we commit and trust that truth, that is true biblical faith that leads to salvation. Let's humble ourselves. Let's examine our hearts And let's respond the best way with praise and worship because that's what he's after. Let us pray.